and gentlemen. Uh, can I please have your attention? Daniel Jigger! Brought to you by the Dispatch and Dispatch Media. Come on by, check out our wares, all that stuff. Uh, also, like good reviews, good yada yada yada. Um, so we're doing this a little different. Um, we are in the Dispatch Studio, which is very exciting. We're going to do this as another one of these sort of drive time things, and it's a little uncomfortable to me because I actually have to look people in the eye, um, which I'm not good at, and. Um, um, I'll let you know if I get a nosebleed from it. Um, and so we have here in the studio, we have the dispatcher's own <coughs> Ryan Brown. Hello, Ryan. Hello, hello. And we have in the United States on our own soil, um, straight from Hogwarts, uh, none other <laughs> than Guy Denton. Welcome to America. Well, thank you, Jonah. It's wonderful to be here. Finally home. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I think I told both of you guys this separately, but I haven't said it on the podcast. I actually... Partly because of COVID, I had would have very vivid COVID dreams. Yeah. And I had a very weird COVID dream where <laughs> I realized that at having never met Guy in person, I would I I actually didn't know what size he came in. And I thought that he might actually be so I had this weird dream that he actually might like be a hom- homunculus, just a <laughs> miniature human being. And the the video feeds we got on the Zoom calls. Like you can't tell from scale, and for all we know, he got like miniature like dollhouse chairs and it's like it's stuff. like that scene from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Remember when they're in the TV studio? Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, like the Oompa Loompas shrink down, and then the kids shrink down. That that could have been what we had going. Here. Exactly, it, was, it could have been just forced perspective, whatever yes. it is. And so I was a little relieved to find out that he was relatively human sized. Um, um, shockingly tall, if you ask me. Yeah, a little taller than I would have thought. Yeah. Yeah. And a little I, more Harry Potter-ish, seriously, than I really am. Oh, really? <laughs> well, the glasses are very Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> You're wearing, like, Gryffindor colors right now, too. I guess I am. Yeah. Well, this is impeccable English style, Ryan. Don't be jealous. <laughs> well, I, I, am jealous. Island, so. <laughs> I am jealous. I am jealous. So, uh, and, and listeners should know that, as of now, Guy is sleeping on Ryan's couch in the basement. After weeks of saying that, that there was no way that was going to happen. <laughs> I get a text. We actually found it this morning on the ride in. We got a text from Caleb saying, hold on, let me find it. I screenshotted it. It said, this is to everyone in the house, which is like three other guys. Caleb says, guy, Jonas already just texted me. He's flying to DC on Friday, but his lodging fell through. Anyone opposed if he crouches on our couch for a bit when he, while he gets settled? <laughs> now it's like for weeks now we've been joking that this is not allowed. <laughs> I should clarify, it's in the living room, not the basement. It is. Yeah. Oh, is it really? It's not a basement. The basement, there's no room in the basement. <laughs> we do have a dungeon actually type thing that we could stick you down there. Well, the, Jonah specially constructed a dispatch dungeon back in England that I was staying in. So <laughs> that's, that's right. That's going to go to waste for some time now until we find a replacement. Um, so this is not not actually your first time in America, right? You've been here before. I have, yes. Yeah. This oh. is not the very. I've never been to Washington before, though, so that's been surreal. So, so, so tell us about your your wonderful journey. Well, <laughs> oh, wonderful, sure wonderful is a <laughs> loose term. Yes, very relative. I'm not sure how far back we want to go with this, but I, I think people at when home... When were you born? Well, yes, uh, <laughs> since <laughs> since I was four years old. It's quite accurate, actually. But people at home, many of them probably, and fortunately, won't know or appreciate, just because they won't have had any exposure to, how nightmarish 
and difficult it really is to immigrate even through work. It is an extremely involuted, restrictive process. Involuted? That's a word? Yes, it is. A highfalutin, buckleyish kind of word. Oh, it's fancy yeah. English. <laughs> I, I know convoluted, but involuted? Involuted is a <laughs> Keep talking while we're <laughs> A live fact check. <laughs> Get Dent. Well, I'm excited about Dent. <laughs> I think I got that from the Buckley the Dahl debates, actually. But. It, um, wow, why not just use convoluted? Well, because it sounds better. Why did Bill yeah, use sound... ridiculous words like sesquipedalian? Because <laughs> he was sesquipedalian. Um, uh, just... He earned it, guy. He earned... <laughs> He's brand new to this country. This is funny because I was listening to the emergency podcast for AO about the mm -hmm. Supreme Court thing. You know, our niche legal podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, and Sarah, to my shock, uh, not dismay, but shock. You know, it's weird. You're not you're supposed to be shock and dismay, but sometimes it's just shock and <laughs> and and nothing. Um, didn't had never seen the word agglomeration before. Um, she knew conglomeration. Then she got it. Apparently, she went down a deep rabbit hole about what is the difference between agglomeration and conglomeration. And um, it seems to me. I mean, I never really thought about it that way. But my my instinct sounds like it was correct. Is that agglomeration is uh, more of like joining together random non-connected thing and conglomeration is bringing together things that that are related to each other or belong together. But anyway, I looked up involuted just now and it means complicated or abstruse, sort of like this conversation so far. And <laughs> I got to look up why it's different than convoluted. But, I, uh, I think they're just synonyms. I don't think there is any substantive yeah, difference. That's what I mean. Like you could have just gone the word with the word everybody knows, but you chose not I did, to. Indeed. <laughs> I respect it. I respect it. <laughs> but, um, well, now I've lost my place, so you can cut this, Ryan. But yes, <laughs> the process no is convoluted. The process is convoluted, yes. And, and involuted. And involuted. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and many other words that end with voluted, probably. This will, well, everyone at home will likely remember the thousands of people who are invested in this, that this all started back in August, and it has dragged on for some time. And one of the many uh, challenging aspects of it is that if you're- The trial by combat? Yes. Well, I passed that. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, that was fine. I had my, uh, I had my mace and shield, spike yeah. shield. It's really, it's really a shame that you had to kill that Welsh invalid <laughs> who wanted to be, come here to be a doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to actually contribute yeah, to this right, country. Exactly, yeah, Two yeah. men and so one yeah. man leaves. Joe, <laughs> right? I don't <laughs> but sex for you would be heart surgeon. I'm gonna go like look up articles on the internet for Jonah Goldberg. That's right. Yeah, I'm gonna write movie reviews for this startup in a basement. It's terrific. But the um, so the visa I'm on is a three year. Working visa called. Why did, H they you, why, did you, why did you get that? And no one, how did that happen? How did this happen? Cool. Prima facie evidence: our immigration system's broken. Anyway, <laughs> who do you know? Three-year visa called H-1B. The uh -huh. good thing about it is it's something called dual intent, which means you can use it to get a green card. If anyone from AEI is listening. Please use it to get <laughs> your green card. But the funny thing is, and uh, Jonah and I discussed this a few months ago when we were both getting a bit frazzled by the whole nightmarish process. It's fortunate that I'm working for Jonah through AEI and not through the dispatch. Because the to get an H-1B, unless you're applying to an institution like a think tank or a college, something tangentially research-related, I, I believe. It's just research-connected institutions, then 
it is even more difficult to apply than it was for me mm -hmm. because there is a lottery component to it. Right. You can only apply at a certain time of year, and the and the petitioning is the, and there's also a cap. There's a cap on how many people they take as well. Thanks. So I thought you were going to say that the. That also the trial by combat actually involves skilled fighters. It does. Uh, <laughs> it probably which would does. be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and booby traps and pits of flame and so on. But so to to do it through the dispatch, I think would have been borderline impossible. Yeah. No. We 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 explored it briefly and and decided it just wasn't worth the effort to bring you to America. It sure was for the dispatch. But <laughs> through AI, thankfully, AI is exempt from all of that. So it was just the. Laborious process in more conventional terms. So I've been joking about it, sort of mostly joking about it. Um, uh, is it actually literally the case that if I fire you, you get deported? Um, oh. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Man, how is he supposed to answer that? I, I genuinely... We're, well, uh, we're not joking, really. But <laughs> we're sort of joking. I honestly don't know. Uh -huh. uh, I I think on the visa in my passport, it says American Enterprise Institute on it. Uh -huh. I think if, because the visa's three years, and let's say I was with you for two years, then wanted to move on to something else and couldn't take the abuse anymore. Uh -huh. I'm not sure how it would work yeah. or whether it would even <laughs> be possible. I think the visa would have to be renewed by the other employer, but it would they wouldn't have to go through nearly as much bureaucratic kind of aggravation, I don't okay. believe. But hopefully a green card is forthcoming, though, eh, Jonas? So it shouldn't be an <laughs> yeah, issue. I, I, I tell you, like, on my list of priorities right now, like, <laughs> he doing got the paperwork for you, your freaking green card is really <laughs> low. He got you here. It's up to you now. Um, okay, so how do you like DC so far? Have you seen much of it? Um, I have... Not done quite as much of exploring on foot as I've wanted to, although I have. Cold. Well, actually, you, you know, been here, what, like a week? Uh, since Friday, um, yeah, last so Friday. But the uh, the cold, I don't think it's cold at all. I think it's really quite tranquil compared to how it was back home. The difference here is it's more of a more of a drier, raw sort of cold than a damp, mm -hmm. pervasive rain English cold. So to me, this is all right. This is like May. Yeah, I mean, like last weekend though it was in the yeah. it was in the twenties no. and it was legit cold. It was like, yeah, I mean, I'm from Michigan, and like the last few days, it, it was like legit cold. I was walking around like, oh wow, this is like yeah. actual cold. E even Today that, wasn't. I bad. didn't think it was so bad. I really didn't. I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> it's like in the teens. Man. <laughs> I, I will <laughs> I will agree that humidity makes stuff feel so much colder. Like, mm -hmm. I'm sure I've said this before, but like my wife who grew up in Fairbanks, Alaska, and would regularly experience 40 and 50 below zero. Right. Still said that Chicago was the coldest place she'd ever been because <laughs> yeah. that wet wind that comes yeah. off of Lake oh. Michigan, that just cuts through any natural fiber. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it feels like you just got out of the shower into some sort of it, Swedish backyard in, in Chicago. It's like a running joke in the Midwest. It's kind of like a meme, like a verbal meme, I guess. It's like, well, without the wind, it wouldn't be bad. Yeah. <laughs> People say that all the time. Well, it's like in those jackwads in Arizona. And look, I like Arizona, but like, Stop telling me Phoenix is just a dry heat. Because um, first of all, in Phoenix, it's not a dry heat. They have a lot of humidity in Phoenix yeah. now, in part because of gardens and swimming pools and whatnot. But like 115 degrees is hot. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a dry heat in a pizza oven too. You know? <laughs> um, all right. So anyway, so you haven't been able to see much. 
Um, I, I've walked. I've been doing quite a bit of walking around downtown, back and forth from AEI, and one of the quite striking things to me, and I've said this to everyone who'll give me any attention because I'm starved for it, is how <laughs> quiet the streets are yeah. after it gets dark. Yeah, and that's how, partly a COVID thing. I, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, and how also everything empties out, mm-hmm. and all of the even on um, I think the night before last, I met up with someone and went to a, a restaurant or slash bar not far from here. And when we got in, there was a big group of people at a work party or similar, mm. other groups around. And by about seven, it had completely emptied out and all of the staff were visibly waiting yeah, for yeah. us to leave so they could <laughs> yeah. get going. And uh, even when you're walking the streets around that time, you only really see people by themselves with their heads down, which compared to London, where it's perpetually heaving, yeah. is a bit not off-putting at all just a mm-hmm. bit striking in a little minor culture shock sort of way so again COVID, i think is a yeah. big part of that but dc's downtown is is very much like a lot of like a lot of midwestern cities downtowns mm-hmm. after after happy hour people yeah. go home like right. there's no reason to During stay week, downtown sure. um but there's also like so there's this ancient ancient rivalry uh, you know, I, I always joke about the Cornell Harvard rivalry that everybody at Cornell knows about. And nobody at Harvard knows about. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there's a similar thing going on between DC and New York. Um, I don't oh, know yeah. if it's still the case, but like in the '90s when I first came here, I was one of these quasi obnoxious people. No, uh, no, no, I don't mean generally. I mean about <laughs> a certain point, a certain argument where I would right. say, "I'm not staying here. I'm going back to New York. Yeah. I'm a New York guy. This isn't a real city. All that kind of stuff." <laughs> yeah, and um, and. Like DC people have historically had Pod actually wrote a really good essay for this, like for Time magazine, like twenty five years ago. Um, have a chip. DC people have a chip on their shoulder about New York mm-hmm. that New York people could not give a rat's ass about. <laughs> and I think part of it is is that New York City, um, New York City's real competitors as for cities are London, Paris. Yeah. Um, there was a time I would say San Francisco, mm-hmm. but San Francisco has gone south. Chicago, I think, mm-hmm. is a much better city than Chicago's like, orders of magnitude better a city than, say, LA. I love Chicago. <laughs> for like walking around and stuff. Yeah. But like New York is a 24 hour city. Mm-hmm. DC's always basically been a 12 hour city. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Bars closed. I mean, eventually, even on the weekend, like you can go out pretty late, but you got to go home eventually. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And I got to say, we, like, we used to joke about this a lot. You know, I used to hang out at this, I don't think it's around anymore, this place, Toledo Lounge in Adams Morgan, where old. Friend, briefly girlfriend of mine opened it with her sister and I spent a lot of time and a lot of money at the Toledo Lounge <laughs> in the 90s and um, um, and the thing is DC bars I assume it's still the case have to close by two yeah I think so and really in, and New York yeah. City bars have to close by four for the most part unless they have a special kind of license those two hours are actually you're considerable very very few good decisions yeah. are made <laughs> after 2 a.m. I'm very you know? grateful that these <laughs> have to close it too. I can be dragged home. Um, but uh, uh, post-COVID, I mean, D.C.'s becoming more of a real city since yeah. I moved here anyway. Yeah. I mean, there are, like, there's some good restaurants now. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And Adams Morgan is in, in some of that Columbia Heights stuff is more interesting than it. Yeah, I mean, there's Adams, pockets. Mo- Adams Morgan. I walked through Adams Morgan last night for the first time. It actually reminded me of England. Yeah, like like the sort of high street you'd see in like a. There's a town in England where my uh, mother is originally from called Bournemouth along the coast, 
and it really reminded me of the mm. high street in Bournemouth where all the nightclubs and restaurants are yeah. and things like mm. that. It looked exactly like it. That's mm. why I lived there for the first 10 years I was in D.C. is because it was the only place that reminded me of New York because, like, I get really nervous by quiet and, um, like, because I grew up on 84th and Broadway and, you know, you right. hear the cars and the buses go by and people screaming and all that kind of stuff. And not always screaming in terror, but, like, screaming. Yeah. <laughs> and, um... And quiet freaks me out. Like, yeah. quiet makes me really nervous. And um, they're basically all the neighborhoods in D.C., for the most part, when I moved here, except for Adams Morgan, were quiet. Mm, yeah. And Adams Morgan felt like a real city to me. All right. So anyway, I keep interrupting. Um, um, what, are, what, are the thing, what, are, what are the things on your uh, must-do list, other than, you know, keeping in my good graces? Um, um uh, now that you're in America, am I allowed to have other things on the to-do list? We had this conversation. You, I've told you, you, you have, you know, in your free time, uh, as we figure out how to define By two hours that. a week. That's right. When, when any time away, any time away from my house is strongly encouraged. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh yeah. We should, before we get to that, so how is he as a uh, uh, an unwelcome roommate? He's taken over. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do anything. I think eighteen twelve all over again. <laughs> yeah. I think at one point I texted you, if you touch anything besides the door handle on our couch, I'll kill you. That's, uh, that sounds legitimate. Yes, I think I probably want to be doing it. Uh, no, seriously, I'm glad. Like, I'm glad you reached out and had a place to crash. But um, now, it, like, there's now five people living in this house. Oh, that's terrible. So, like, it's just a lot. But um, it's fun. It's fun. We, we do all more or less come and go and shower as well yes. at different times. Yes, yeah. So it's not very... There are two full bathrooms, which helps immensely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, but no, I think every time I come home and like see his stuff and him on the couch, I'm like, this is just so funny to me. That it's actually <laughs> it is had pretty to funny, actually. <laughs> I, I had can't a, believe it. one of my best friends in college um, uh, lived in D.C. for a while. And I can't remember why he lost his apartment or moved out of his apartment, but he was apartmentless and low on funds. And so he went to a hostel. You know, I think. Julia Zempanadas is still Julia Zempanadas is still around in Adams Morgan. Anyway, yeah. it was above it was the build that building above it, and uh, um, and I went to go visit him at this hostel that he was staying at, and I walk to his room, which he has padlocked with a, like a, yeah. his own lock that he had put on it, uh-huh. and I'm like, dude, what is that smell? And and I don't mean this in any racist way because like you can pick people of any nation you can pick men of any nationality and put 30 of them in one room yeah and it'll smell bad (laughs) yeah but it just so happened they had a room with triple bunk beds wow and literally like a couple to three dozen like nigerian immigrants all living in one room where they have to step they have to crawl across the other person's bed to get out of the room and i was like i this just this doesn't feel sustainable to me as a place for you to live, dude. But um, no. I didn't offer him to stay at my house either. Of so, not, yeah. Just so you know, it's, 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 it's a policy thing. So We don't have a smell yet. No, we no, we don't. You but, could go nose deaf, though. Yeah, like, you, you, <laughs> yeah, you'd just be oblivious to your own smell. It. Yeah, exactly. It yeah. happens. I wouldn't doubt it. Um, so where, um, so what, is, what, it, what is the stuff that you really want to see that you haven't yet seen? Oh, I, well, I still need to do the full run of the mall. I went around, I walked around the Capitol on the Saturday after I arrived, but otherwise I still need to go to the Lincoln and Jefferson memorials, still need to do all of the museums, still need to properly go to the monument. And then 
I need to explore all the other neighborhoods. I still haven't been to Georgetown and Thoggy Botham. Still haven't been to some around um, some of the ones. Well, if there's even any point in going to any of the ones a bit more north. I mean, Georgetown's worth seeing, but uh, like Foggy Bottom is. Like yeah, a... yeah, we were talking about this a little bit. Like you're kind of obsessed with Georgetown, and, and it's we not like, what you eh, think. It's it a little is. overrated. It's just expensive, and like I know it's a cool it, street, but it's also it's funny. It's like every now and then I'll tweet something about like. I remember once I was like, I tweeted that I was at the Petco in Georgetown. Uh-huh. And all these like MAGA Goldberg hater types yeah. um, um, uh, start tweeting at me. And it's like, of course you go to a Petco in Georgetown. What do they only have? Poodles? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it does have that kind of like. It's, and it's not that fancy. No. And there's a lot Isn't of. It? No, it's, 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 fun. it's nice. Like there's nice stores, but like there's nicer parts of. Like, so you know how, all right, so Lower Fifth Avenue in New York, um, parts of the, part I can't remember, it's not the Champs-Élysées in Paris, but it's one of those kinds of streets. And there are the streets in London that have, like, going out of business sale, buy this carpet, yes. 50% off kind of thing. <laughs> Georgetown has a lot of that in it, too. <laughs> um, and it's got a lot of, like, hoagie places for Georgetown students. It's not... Yeah. It is not the fanciest. It's not the seventh arrondissement or something <laughs> like that. Um, it's just as it's just a crappy place to drive through because the traffic. Oh, it's horrible to drive through. There's a couple good bars. Georgetown Piano Bar is super fun. Yes, jazz. That's a big thing. I, I still need to see some jazz. I'm looking forward to that. I didn't Can't help you there. No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not known for jazz here. I don't know. Like, of course. I mean, there's jazz places. This is where but Duke like, Ellington came from, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. There's the Duke know. Ellington Bridge you can walk across. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think of jazz when I think of DC, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Are you um, a big jazz fan? Uh, jazz, all of that jazz and funk and all of the 70s stuff, yes, inherited it from dad. So, mm-hmm. and a lot of the great, like, par- Parliament Thunkadelic and all of that was heavily oh, DC influenced and based and so on. I don't know if there are any, how many good venues there are nowadays, yeah. though, or how many good acts there are. Although, a, what, a few things, places to eat are also important. And I should say that this this Simpsons thing, these Simpsons articles are actually going to happen. The dispatch isn't known for overpromising and underdelivering, uh-huh. of course. But two of the great Simpsons writers, uh, a team called Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein, who ran the show for two seasons and were there for a few seasons before that as well, both grew up in D.C. Mm-hmm. And Bill Oakley is now, in addition to being a TV writer, a social media fast food reviewer who on his fast inst- food reviewer it, yes who on his instagram and twitter feeds posts weird micro reviews of new fast food at just about every place there is in portland and since he since they're both dc natives he came back to dc not too long ago and put a thing on his instagram asking for food recommendations and got about a hundred replies hmm. so i'll be using that i think Okay. <laughs> probably good. It's probably a good I'm map sure. to use. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You should at some point go to Martin's Tavern. Have you ever been to Martin's? Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a George Will favorite, isn't it? I think. Or am I making that up? I don't. Th- I mean, it might have been when he was younger. It would um, shock me. But uh, it was an old Washington Post, Washington Star, and Kennedy administration hangout. Yeah. And um, it's still got like the Welsh rare bit on the menu and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And it's a. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's where a lot of really like fading DC wasp uh, 
you know, from the wasps from the Ansan regime slowly drink themselves to death. And so it's kind of interesting to, um, mm. to people watch, you know, people with like belts with ducks on them and, and red khakis mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, um, I think I think I remember seeing a picture when Bob Mueller was like the guy to see around town. He went to Martin's Tavern with that actor from NCIS that's like the scientist with like the weird glasses. Oh. The guy that you would expect to be a waspy guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a little bit of an accent. They went there together. And so that's exactly the type of clientele. I would yeah. imagine that Martin Stammer. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Martin's. I mean, I it's have, cool. It's a great vibe. Yeah. Um, and we're very close here to um, the prime rib, which I believe was the last, I don't know if it's still the case, but I believe it was the last expensive high end bar restaurant place that still had old school uh, ladies of the night ah. at the bar, <laughs> you know, like after 7 PM where you could see them um, where, you could play the game uh, uh, mistress or daughter with a lot of like fat K Street lawyers where they were like with really attractive young women. Oh. And uh, thankfully, I don't think any of them were daughters because that would be really gross. <laughs> yeah, so. um, you should go to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Mm. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, archives. 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 Cool. Yes, Check I that out about the archive. That's cool. Um, That's like my go-to spot for people that come visit. And like, well, what should we do? I'm like, oh, you got to go to the archives because it's a little like, it's not the first thing everyone does, but it's really cool to like, yeah. be in that room and, and look at all the archives. All right. We, we can circle back to some of this stuff, but we should probably do some punditry for like the 12 listeners we haven't yeah. like <laughs> uh, scared away or bored to death. Um, welcome again to America, guy. I, I really hope I don't have to deport you. Oh, as do I. <laughs> I should say that for all of our uh, the, the loving relationship Jonah and I have on uh, on air, we did have a very nice, thoughtful conversation in the office the other day. But it was a lot of fun. So it's I, all just a facade. That's right. <laughs> oh, I, I, I gave you, I didn't I didn't do the full talk, but I gave you a big chunk of the the, the RA talk for um, or the I'm, young person coming to Washington talk. Yeah, so. I'm cutting that nice little moment. Oh, I'm podcast. sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Um, it's too bad you can't like show how I had my middle finger up in his face the entire time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just just gnarling Polishing your teeth. the Singapore cane. <laughs> well, that was... All right. So what? 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 Uh, let's let's, uh, well, let's hold off on the rank punditry for two seconds. Um, did anything in the last week's podcasts shock or surprise you, um, or pique your interest in any way? No, no. <laughs> I think we're going to civil war. Uh, <laughs> and, I want, and I'm ready. I want to see it. I'm just um, going to stand on the sidelines. I'm not going to be a part of it. But I think we'd love. I'd love to see it. I did feel bad because, like, not only did Ross and David French, yeah, clash horns on uh, columns like the same week I had Ross on, and I didn't ask him about any of that stuff. Um, David also wrote a book about how we could go have a civil war, and I didn't <laughs> mention that either. So I was feeling really guilty, but I just didn't know how to bring it up without like making it the whole thing. And yeah, and, you know. French can fight his own battles. Yeah, you know. I think he's fine. He, I mean, he had, so Ross had a hard out and he said you, there was stuff you wanted to ask him. What was the, oh, like, well, so, all right, let's look, I like Ross. I've known Ross for a long time. Yeah. I think Ross is a brilliant writer. Um, but like one of my frustrations with Ross is his ecumenicism on the right about like, he, 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 he his instincts are more sympathetic to this post-liberal integralism mm-hmm. um, 
than I would like them to be because mm -hmm. I think the post-liberal integralism is garbage. Mm -hmm. um, which doesn't mean all of the complaints of the post-liberal integralists are garbage. Like I, with them on the porn thing, I think yeah. it's entirely legitimate to say we should curtail, not ban, but like curtail porn to its prevalence 20 years ago rather than what it is today. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I'm waiting for there to be hardcore porn on those little monitors on the gas pump. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, so like with Ross, it's just, there's always this, it's, I'm not saying he's intellectually dishonest at all. I, that's not yeah. my argument. It's that he, he's a good enough writer that he can kind of like, it's like watching a border collie do an agility trial. I mean, he can, like, he can write, <laughs> he can, he can write clear of all sorts of pitfalls that I think annoy a lot of people who want him to be an ally or an enemy. Yeah. Because he just doesn't give the reader something concrete to hang on. And mm -hmm. um and so like I would I would love to sort of at some point, you know, strap him to a chair and just interrogate the hell out of him about <laughs> like what he actually thinks about that stuff. Yeah. And um um and also, I mean, I, this is totally unfair, but I would love for him to speak forthrightly about his views of the New York Times in general and how it operates. <laughs> but I understand why, you know, that's unfair to do to anybody. Um, yeah. um, and I'm not saying like he's some special case like this, but it's right. like everybody I know who works at the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever. Um the off-the-record stories are always so much better than the on-the-record stories. Not like the Dispatch, yeah. where we're an open book. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, it'd be fun to do more movies and yeah, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I did feel really bad that I didn't know anything about his big piece about "Don't Look Up." Um, I didn't read it. I have I haven't read it either. But um, I thought you guys were largely right about "Don't Look Up." I thought it was a funny movie. I thought there were funny parts. Yeah, yeah. I thought there were funny parts. I thought like. I thought, what's his face? Um, Jonah Hill. Yeah, Jonah Hill. Um, he was great. Uh, Do you know his prayer for stuff? Uh -huh. Apparently, that like at the end, that was all improv. Was it really? Yeah, a lot of the movie was improv. See, yeah. I, I generally like Jonah Hill. Like in The Wolf of Wall Street, I think he's hilarious. But in that, I just found him annoying. I didn't think any of his lines were funny. It all just felt tedious and smug to me like the movie as a whole <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> wasn't I that the point though well i suppose but that didn't mean it was fun to watch yeah so i so i mean i, I i'm sort of played out on, on yeah on the sh the movie itself insofar as like i think it's um it fails at what it set out to do but for that sure. doesn't mean that you can't like it for other reasons and that yeah it would have been much better if they had um made it all about anti-vaccine stuff because mm -hmm. that actually works as a metaphor. You know, the, the, the meteor the comment thing works as a metaphor. You know, the don't look up right. part works as a metaphor much better for anti-vax stuff than it does for climate change for all the reasons yeah. we talked about. But I, I will say, this is not sort of my problem with everything Adam McKay does that's supposed to be serious. Yeah. It's sort of like, um, I can't think of the perfect analogy for it, but like, you know how weird some like action movies seem if there's not like a music soundtrack to it, yeah, like, yes. or like dancing scenes without a music. It's like, yes, that looks ridiculous, right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, what Adam McKay does in the Big Short, um, I should leave the Big Short out of it for two seconds because I, I have not watched that thing all the way through. But like in Succession, really? 
You ever um, watched the big short? I watched big, big pieces of it, yeah. but um, I just never watched the whole thing through. Being Parkus, I was annoyed by it, and so many people had yeah. ranted to me about it beforehand. Right. But like, if you like, you watch Succession, or, mm-hmm. um, or don't look up. They basically have the exact same dialogue that you would have from Will Ferrell in Talladega Nights or um, Step Brothers. They just somehow managed to take away that the the comedic equivalent of the music soundtrack, right? Yeah. So it's like serious people saying these lines seriously yeah. rather than the way Will Ferrell can, you know, when when... Like imagine an Anchorman character right. saying Anchorman type stuff in a serious way, right? right? <laughs> and but still saying you are a smelly pirate hooker, right? right? And there's something <laughs> yeah. about the delivery of a Will Ferrell and when it's an explicit comedy that makes that dialogue play differently. And then when yeah. you start watching, like in Succession, all it is is the same kind of writing where we're supposed to take it absolutely seriously yeah. rather than and ha- see it as like biting wit right and um and not as comedy and it's it i feel manipulated by it yeah the guy that plays kendall roy mm-hmm. in succession i don't know if you saw this but oh there's a big it, new yorker yeah piece yeah, about yeah, yeah. There. and like the author of the piece um tries to explain to the actor i'm trying to get his name i forgot his name um that like, no, the show's a comedy. And he's like, no, no. Yeah. I don't think it is. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure the show's a comedy. <laughs> and the actor now, the point of the piece is like, he, the actor himself takes himself way too seriously. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is kind of weird. Sounds like Jeremy Bain Strong from The Simpsons. <laughs> but like, he's not even in on the joke. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah, yeah. in the show. But, but speaking of the actors, though, that was one of the things I found baffling about it. And, and I also found it baffling about the French Dispatch from last year as well where there are so many incredibly famous people in it. And I don't understand why you would assemble that kind of cast and then give most of them next to nothing to do. Yeah, Like DiCaprio and, and Meryl Streep and Jonah Hill obviously all have, Jennifer Lawrence will have significant roles and a lot of material to work with. But people like Michael Chiklis, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. who I think had all of two scenes and very little good writing. That was what, a, a, again, I, I know a lot of people like the French Dispatch. I usually like Wes Anderson. I didn't really enjoy it in large part because I thought it, there was not enough substance to any of the scenes with all of these great actors in them. Yeah. They just didn't have enough to do. I still haven't seen it. Right? Yeah, I didn't but that, see it. that was the sense I got from my wife and daughter who saw it was that it was kind of self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, sometimes you get those kind of cameo things because um, someone you know, Adam McKay calls someone and says, hey, we'd love to have you in it. He says, I can give you two days. Right. And yeah. they come on and right. they do some improv. And if it fails, they still want to have a scene yeah. where they can brag about how he's in it, but like don't, can't use much of it, you know. And it gets um, people in the seats or streaming. I guess. Yeah. No one's in the seats anymore. But. Um, Did anyone been to a movie recently? I went to the movies last night. Oh, <laughs> was there anyone there? Uh, yeah, it was busy. It was quite a busy screening. I went to see the new Scream. Uh, which I thought was an absolute abomination. And I'll try <laughs> I didn't to, even know there was a new Scream. Uh, well, neither did I until the other week. Uh, but I, I love the old Scream movies. Even the one that came out about a decade ago, this new one I thought was awful. And I'm going to try and pound out a review today for the weekend on it. I thought it was so bad. 
but the but that was a, a packed screening. I, I think it was I think it came out on really? Wednesday and all of the people there were really loud and into it. You can tell they were big fans of the franchise. Or high. Or high. Probably both, <laughs> yeah, knowing yeah. this town. Yeah. But uh, Spider Man, I know you really liked Spider Man as well. I did, Ryan. I saw it. So Jonah can't make fun of me for wanting to talk about it anymore. <laughs> um, and when I saw that it was packed. Yeah. Uh, the crowd was really into it. Yeah. So I saw Spider Man. I thought it was I think it suffered from all the hype. Because like I went in with very high expectations and thought it was just okay, not great. But see, um, if you grew up with Spider-Man yes. though, and like you'd seen a lot of the old movies, I haven't seen all of the other universe movies. But like I, in my mind, Tobey Maguire. Spoiler alert! <laughs> Big spoiler alert! If you haven't seen it, yeah, sorry, I didn't get, didn't get that. Tobey Maguire is Spider-Man to me. So when he showed up on screen, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. Did you scream like a little girl? Tell <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you know Jonah the real Spider-Man um, did, did your I audience, just loved it I did just, your audience cheer Ryan when they yes, came out they yeah mine did yes, too yeah. yes. I find it creepy as fornication that you have the temerity to say to me if you grew up with Spider-Man when like I grew up <laughs> okay. with spider I actually read first of all I watched the the original Spider-Man cartoon I did too religiously when I was a little kid that and, fair. and I read, you know, for a while there, Marvel had like nine different Spider-Man titles. There was Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, right. Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, right. you know, all this kind of stuff. I read all of that stuff. And like, you're, you know, you're, you're part of the problem. Is that you, 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 <laughs> That's you, fair. People grow up with these movies and you think that that's like real fandom. We think um, we invented this. I used to read all the old comics. Yeah. I used to have stacks of the old 60s, 70s, 80s ones. Sure, but you weren't waiting week to week. For, well, that's for true. Yeah. They had to. Um, that is fair. But um, but anyway, I know I like. I still think the single best, maybe the best superhero movie that has come out in the last 10 years, maybe the exception of like the Avengers Civil War stuff, was... Um, which I thought was really well done, just mm -hmm. impressively done. Um, and I thought Guardians of the Galaxy was really well done. But the cartoon Spider Into the Spider-Verse oh. thing, that was the... F so, like, I have a big theory about this. It's like, when, I'm a, when I was a little kid, I hated, like, superhero movies because the special effects were so bad Oh yeah, that it just didn't work. And you guys should right. go find the YouTube clips of, like, the TV show for Captain America where they couldn't even make the special effects for a guy who basically doesn't have superpowers. Work. And, um, and like even the Hulk was like, I mean, I watched that show, but it was, you know, the Lou Ferrigno Hulk, but it just wasn't great. And then the CGI revolution all of a sudden made it seem realistic that you could have superheroes yeah. with these kinds of right. powers. But part of the problem was, is that over time, some of the weird, kind of stony magic of comic books got lost because mm. the, the special effects are so good yeah. that they didn't do some of the crazier things. And that that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse thing was the first movie in the new Marvel sort of superhero era that captured some of the fun that mm. comes up in comic mm -hmm. books um, um, while still being, you know, a pretty good movie. Yeah. Um, have you ever heard of Howard the Duck? <laughs> Regrettably. Okay. So yeah, I haven't. I've never understood the comic book Howard the Duck. And like I read comic books pretty religiously. And um, 
But Howard the Duck is just basically a disgruntled middle-aged, just shy of middle-aged dude who's a duck with no special powers who comes to Earth. <laughs> That's awesome. And is just like smokes and goes to bars <laughs> and hits on chicks and was like, and like I keep waiting for the Shaggy Dog sort of story to end with like Howard the Duck. But like there are people who love Howard the Duck. So they made it for the dads of kids at Red Comic Books. I, yeah, I, I, I honestly, I swear to God, I don't know. Wasn't Spider-Man in one of the first issues of Howard oh, the I'm Duck? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, no. He they... appeared in all sorts of things. And you're like, Guys, he's just a very large duck. <laughs> One laser beam will cook him. You know, like, look, why is what's going on? Never That's understood. Awesome. George Lucas, I believe, made yes. you a must, Howard. You must see this, Ryan. It a Howard glorious. the Duck movie, oh. like in the theaters with Leah Thompson. <laughs> and go on YouTube at some point and look at this thing, and you're like, how did people wake up every morning, get dressed, go to work? Participate, like hold up boom mics and like lights <laughs> and like set out the craft services table for lunch five, six days a week making this movie without any sense that at the very least they should change their name for the credits because it is like so, it's, it, it, in some ways it's like a quintessential early 80s movie, just the aesthetics of it. Yeah. Anyway, you should, people should look at it. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, but um, oh, I cannot wait to watch it. It's very strange. And I, I, it I live house. in dread that they're going to come out with another. Uh, do you have, I wouldn't surprise yeah. me, yeah. But it, you know, people forget that the, the, the late 90s, early 2000s was an utterly wretched time for comic book movies with a few exceptions. That's right. And now they're going to go back. Undoubtedly, they'll go back and remake Ghost Rider, remake Fantastic Four, all of those. I, the only one of those I I haven't seen a lot of them in years and years. But the one I always, the two I always really liked, and then I think it will be a shame if they remake. Although they probably won't have a choice because Wesley Snipes is about fifty. Are the first two blades? The first two blades are brute, which are I good. think are great. Yeah, yeah. they are mm -hmm. a little bit of um, the logic of video games applied to movies. Where mm, the um, second one especially, yeah, <laughs> yeah, where like in the beginning of the movie, one vampire is hard to kill. Mm -hmm. By the middle of the movie, 10 vampires are hard to kill. <laughs> and by the end of the movie, vampires are super easy to kill, but the boss level yeah. vampire is really hard. And it's like, yeah. um, that was one of the first, actually, the guy who first pointed that out to me about the corruption of movies by video game logic was Andrew Breitbart. Um, and he oh. was, it was about Blade. Um, wow. But that was a long time ago. All right, so punditry. Yeah. So people are going to be so pissed about Do this podcast. Do we have to? People are going to be so angry about this podcast. I'm just telling you right now. Um, um, you sure you angry? don't want to talk about Howard the Duck some more, Joe? Um, Will you get mean tweets about this podcast? I don't know about tweets, but we'll just monitor the comments. You'll see. There'll be people like... I'm afraid to go. I, 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 I work hard. I'm, you know, I expect to be intellectually engaged and <laughs> you guys are talking about some Harry Potter kids like uh, when they see drive time, <laughs> turn um, your brain off, clean your oven, whoever does that. <laughs> I like often. that lady. They, I know me too. She, no, she, I, she great. always enjoys them. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't mean that as an insult. Okay, okay, like, yeah, I think everyone right. should clean their oven more often. Um, I, 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 I rank, I just like, I feel like it's in my union contract. I have to have a rank punditry in here. So very quickly, Jonah, what'd you think of Joe Biden's speech the other day? <laughs> uh, I, so I'll say this. Like, so we brought out the G file out from behind the yeah. paywall. I got a lot of nice feedback about it. Um, people should check it out. I think it, I easily could have gone another 2000 words. I was so annoyed by the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but I got to say, I was pleasantly surprised. I was watching morning Joe this morning 
um, because you know I, I need a soundtrack when I cut myself, and um, um, uh, they had this guy Ryan something uh, from No Labels, which no. um, I not me and no. Um, I would hope you'd remember if you were more <laughs> this morning. Um, who really he was fairly dispassionate about it, and they let him have his say. But he basically made a lot of the points I made in the G file, a lot of points he files been making, and all that kind of stuff about the utter bogusness of the voter suppression panic. Right? I mean, I'm not saying that you can't have mm -hmm. you can't criticize some of these laws because like, some of these laws were bad and unnecessary. But this idea that you know, re reverting basically to the voting practices we had in 2018 before the pandemic is the equivalent of Jim Crow on steroids, you know, is mm -hmm. shameless, cynical demagoguery. And this guy walked through all of it and it was really kind of funny how quiet everybody was. Um, because on MSNBC and on Morning Joe, they have, until this morning, been doing the full voting rights are in peril how can you be against mm -hmm. voting rights um and uh um and this guy just basically without without twisting the knife the way i would uh <laughs> um, uh or pouring salt in the wound the way i would you know this guy's basically like you guys have been had this is all hysterical yeah. nonsense yeah. and um and i have to say good you know good for those guys to have him on yes yeah, I mean, it's not like joy reed's gonna have that person no. on and <laughs> Although Joy Reid's not going to be on for much longer, which gives me hope for humanity. Really? Um, yeah, no, they're 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 kicking it to the curb. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they're <laughs> bringing in that. Yeah. <laughs> they're bringing in Simone Sanders, who was. You know, oh, I saw for, that. Oh, I didn't know she was going to replace her. I don't know if she's replacing her, but it was announced the same day. I think it was a way to like placate some people. It was uh -huh. Like, look, we got this very progressive uh -huh. other black woman we're bringing in. Um, but um, I think. Simone Sanders would be an improvement over Joy Reid, who I yeah. think is just grossly irresponsible. Um, so anyway, yeah, there's that. I, I've been genuinely more shocked that people are not more bothered by, by Biden's speech than the other day. Yeah, like we, I was, I've been on the Hill uh, for most of the week, and I'm forgetting now who the senator was. It was a Democratic senator, and someone said, a, a reporter asked him, "Are you?" concerned about the divisiveness of the speech. And he was like, no, I don't think it was that bad. And the reporter followed up with, he basically compared everyone that doesn't support these bills to Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis. And the senator goes, well, I don't know if that's quite true. Yeah. And the reporter was like, that's literally what he did. <laughs> I mean, how can you just say that? I mean, to me, it means they just don't want to think about it yeah. and think about how bad it actually was. Yeah. No, there's um, this guy, Tommy Christopher, I'm not a huge fan of it. He wrote a piece for Mediaite. I read that. I saw you retweeted. Yeah, accusing Jake Tapper of being on the side of Bull Connor. Unreal. <laughs> yeah. Because Jake Tapper asked Dick Durbin whether he thought, whether he agreed with Biden's speech, and Dick Durbin said it went a bit too far. Yeah. And, and I think that was the full extent of Tapper's crime in this thing. Yeah. And, like, I agree with you. I think it is, I think what Biden did was appalling. And the only defense of Biden I can come up with, which I'm not sure is actually applicable, is that someone has is is that it's basically elder abuse, that someone is filling his head with nonsense and he's going out yeah. and parroting it because what he did was 
truly indefensible on the standards that he claims to be upholding about right. the country. And, you know, I don't, people change and that's all fine, but like it takes a certain amount of chutzpah for a guy who played footsie with George Wallace, who um, was uh, buddies with Strom Thurmond. Spoke at his funeral. Yeah, who uh, made all sorts of accommodations uh, to sort of segregation and, and stuff in Delaware as a young man and had no problem working with the old bulls who were racists and spoke well of them to be all of a sudden, and by the way, who are almost all in his party, talking about how Republicans are the authors of Jim Crow and how, you know, yeah. that they're on the side of Bull Connor for wanting to get rid of friggin' drive-through voting yeah. and and ballot drop boxes, which again, you can, they're perfectly legitimate criticisms of that stuff, but um, they don't amount to Jim Crow. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the things that really just drives me crazy about, and this is what I was trying to get at with Ross about the sort of decadence of all of this, is that, it's like people want to live in more heroic times. <laughs> and so, um, let's put it, I'll back up one second. So there's one droplet of intellectual substance on this thing. <laughs> so, um, you know, as I, as I wrote my first book, you know, and that I was somewhat wrong about, but I, I wrote my first book that fascism, that the Orwellian jackboot stomping on a human face form of fascism was not in the cards for America because America didn't have a feudal past because America mm -hmm. was a fundamentally liberal culture, blah, 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 blah. Tune into last week's solar. And That's right. Book. But I did say that there was a worry about Aldous Huxley's dystopia, which was a society where everyone wants, you know, prepackaged joy delivered to them like by Amazon. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's, um, you know, like, as I always used to say, you know, 10th graders have been given the, the task of explaining what was wrong with Soma or a brave new world. If everybody was happy, um, for years. And, um, and I kind of thought that the way you could get to the sort of authoritarianism of classical fascism in America is you first had to go through Huxley's dystopianism where, you basically breed what C.S. Lewis called, you know, a generation of men without chests hmm. who felt that they had lost any ability for greatness or meaning in their lives. And so they hungered for it and they started looking for, you know, the heroic man on the white horse kind of thing who would give them some great cause, some sort of ubermenchy kind of cause that, you know, and that's how you could get there. And I think if you look at people like the, the sort of incel, uh, you know, griper alt-right dorks you know what was his what's his name uh, fuentes that guy who's the head of one yeah. of the <laughs> nick fuentes right and he literally said and maybe i brought this up before but like he brought up and he said in an interview a couple weeks ago he was asked have you ever had a relationship with a woman and he was like no but i know enough about women that i can say the, and it was like like I, I i come from like a culture like i forget like put gay people aside for two seconds where avowedly heterosexual men do not brag on camera about how like, like have never been with a woman, right? <laughs> Particularly like in their thirties. And well, um, I, I had to look this up though. You did mention that the other day. And when I Googled it, I thought, well, how old is he? About 28. 
He's my age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when did he get famous? He must have been about 17. Oh, so he's only 23? I believe. I could be mistaken, but I, I think I that's what was, I saw. I thought he was a little older than that. Um, I mean, exactly. look, if you want to take a shortcut to get famous, start making, you know, uh, uh, Jews and oven jokes the way yeah. he does. You know, and, that, and ignore women. And ignore women, right. <laughs> women are a distraction. It's sort yeah. of like, a, you know, like what, what Mickey tells Rocky in the first Rocky movie is yeah. you, can't, you can't be with any women because it, it saps your energy for the fight. But... Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, like, and so I think that there's a, um, there is a danger of sort of having a society where um, people don't feel like there's an opportunity for glory in their lives, except so they sort of create narratives sure. that make them, that, like, give them bravery on the cheap. And so, yeah, like, the, I mean, there's a lot of sociological literature on how one of the reasons why baby boomers screwed everything up is they were so jealous of their parents' generation because they had World War II and the Great Depression. So they had like great historic things to struggle in. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do? If you read JFK's, um, uh, you know, uh, bear, you know, ask not speech. Yeah. In that context, it's it's very much like we are going to create historic circumstances that so that we can live up to the legacy of our parents generation in which you know where they were heroic on a generational level at least that's the claim i hate that generational crap but um and and so the baby movers you know they had some like legitimate stuff so they had like the gym fighting jim crow and civil rights stuff and that's great mm -hmm. you now have kids today who are jealous that they don't have those kinds of struggles on both the left sure. and the right. And so they start inventing them. And one of the things that infuriates me is I think that like part of the problem with Biden's speech, it was in a very real visceral sense, unpatriotic mm -hmm. because we're supposed to be taking pride in the fact that we have overcome yeah. a lot of our racist history and we've made enormous racial progress. And if you're saying that we've made an effect, no progress, or that we are on the cusp of being no different than the Bull Connor generation, where they put fire hoses and dogs on black people asking for their fundamental rights, then you're basically saying that no progress has been made, that we're not a better country, that we should take no pride in that stuff, that we should tell young people that 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 racial progress is impossible. Yeah. Because if you're saying that, like, if oh, taking away drop boxes is the same thing as, you know, like beating lynching black people. Yeah. Um, first of all, it's incandescently stupid and involuted, but it's also, <laughs> it's also just denying part of one of the great narratives of this country. And it, it, it disgusts me. I, I'm sometimes surprised people don't, aren't more aware of that. Like this happens on both sides of political spectrum. It was like giving people a reason to go out and vote and give money and all that stuff. Like how hard is it to just be aware of the fact that politicians are telling you what what they know they're going to rally you up this way. Right. And you just, I think you're right. I think they need, I think people need a purpose and politics is replacing that, which used to be a religion and a family and all that stuff. And it's kind of sad. It's really sad. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I just, I actually, I have no problem with seeking glory, you know, it, but yeah. and what I mean by that is like, I remember when my, I had, you know, I mentioned some of this to guy the other day, you know, I was a television producer for a while. And I really enjoyed it when I was learning a lot and going to cool places and, and doing crazy stuff with my friends. But eventually I was kind of like, you know, I was desperate to stop working on Ben Wattenberg's TV show, Think Tank, desperate. 
So I took whatever TV work I could get and I did some documentary stuff, which I'm, I had a lot of fun doing, but I mm. also, I defecate you negatory. I was making, uh, instructional videos with graphing calculators. Um, <laughs> wow. and, uh, and doing infomercials for, uh, this guy, Oren Harari's book, leapfrogging the competition. Right. And <laughs> I hated that stuff. Yeah. And my boss at the time, not Wannenberg, but my, my, my boss at the production company that I work for was like, well, what do you, you know, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I, I'm, I'm starting to realize I don't want to be a TV producer anymore. But, you know, he was like, well, what do you want? You know, like, you want to make a lot of money? Do you want to, what do you want to do? Yeah. And I, my answer at the time was a little fanciful, but I was like glory. Huh. And what I meant by that wasn't like, I didn't want to like conquer Vienna for the Italians or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, what I meant was, is like, I liked being in the, f in the fight and making arguments and, and I didn't care very much about making a lot of money. I wanted to make enough money, but I liked the idea of just sort of like, um, I'm not doing a good job of explaining this, but sort of like, um, seeking, you know, sort of like, you know, guy wants to be, you know, a writer yeah. and all this kind of stuff. It's like, I want to be in the mix and I want to be part like, of something bigger than yourself. Yeah. And uh, but, that's a good but, way of putting it actually. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, um, and, but my problem with the bigger than yourself thing is I also, it's also about like proving that you can, that you can lock horns or cross swords with, you know, the best people in the business kind yeah. of, thing, yeah. right. It's mm -hmm. sort of proving yourself. And part of this had to do with the fact that I had a chip on my shoulder when I was younger about having gone to like, First of all, having been rejected from every college I applied to, but Tell also me about it, uh, um, about going to an all women's college, no yeah. one had ever heard of, right? Yeah, and and then I go to AI and I meet all of these like Ivy League, Harvard, Yale, Princeton types, and I really loved sort of the fact that I could hold my own yeah. with them. That kind of anyway. So what I mean by this is what I'm talking about is like I got no problem with glory seeking about being ambitious about trying sure. to like make a name for yourself and all that kind sure. of stuff what I have a problem with is like the identity politics version of it where it's like the people who think that just because they belong to a group that somehow someone else's excellence or accomplishments through the transitive property applies to them. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to be proud that you're German, be proud that you're German, but like, don't think that like you're a better person because you align with a bunch of other Teutons or right. whatever. And right. Um, there's no transitive property. And that's one of the things I love about the pursuit of happiness in the constitution is that the pursuit of happiness is an individual right. And everyone is, is mm -hmm. on to their own about how they sort of get it. And there's a, there's a real laziness in the way that the sort of the MAGA nationalists and the sort of, um, Jim Crow 2.0 leftists talk about this stuff is that they think simply by taking a position right that somehow they're doing something heroic right like you know i agree with tucker carlson my work is done right you've done nothing <laughs> right. there's no right. work by you know? tweeting <laughs> out yeah. watch this monologue yeah yeah like oh look yeah. well that's some heroic tweeting really right. like, exactly. way to go you yeah. are a hero of our age it's sort of like my problem with adam mckay is like adam mckay says uh if you don't like the movie it's because you don't care about climate change and like he's <laughs> He thinks he's checked some heroic box about fighting climate change. Right. He's going to go back to flying private and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, 
And um, um, and so I think one of the problems that we have is that we live in a time where people think that if they subscribe to a narrative that they can cast themselves yeah. in some sort of role. I mean, I know I bring it up all the time on here about how I hate the phrase the greatest generation because it conveys to people who happen to be born in a specific time period accomplishments that they had a, no part of yeah. right? I mean, like, right. if you storm Normandy, great. Right. Yeah. Good for yeah. you, man. Yeah. Like, I'll yeah. buy you a beer. Right. I mean, you, your doctor probably says you can't have <laughs> beer anymore, but, like, you know, you deserve all the praise you get. But, yeah. like, if you're just the same age as someone yeah. who stormed Normandy and you didn't serve in World War II, why do I have to defer to you as part of the greatest generation? Yeah. There's no transitive property there. And, like, um, but we teach a lot of young people that, that no, no, just simply aspirationally if you subscribe to a certain point of view, that makes you a better person than somebody else. When there's no work involved, there's no effort involved, there's no yeah. real glory involved. It's all sort of glory on the cheap. And that's right. the thing that offends me about so much of it. Yeah. You see that a lot on Instagram these days. Like people like live normal lives and then they'll put on their story something, some like there's other, there's accounts where it's just like very progressive liberal stuff yeah. and they repost it and then they just kind of think, okay, I'm good. Yeah. And then, then like, that's or you put out it. a freaking sign in your front yard saying in right. this house, we right. believe in yeah. science. Yeah. It was like, yeah. okay, well therefore, yeah. you know, like, which I, is fine, but I like, can't yeah. argue with you about anything. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a symptom, it's a symptom of a, I, I think Ross, I think Ross's decadence thesis is best when it touches on this sort of thing. It's a symptom of a hyper self-sufficient, hyper technological society where everyone is connected, and because of that, in many ways, everyone is in competition with each other. Yeah, and yeah, you right. see that yeah, yeah, yeah. at its finest right. on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably right. many of the people on Instagram are living deeply miserable, lonely, unhappy lives, yeah. and what the, what they derive a huge amount of satisfaction from is posting the best breakfast pic or yeah. the best snap of themselves in a hotel lobby or a restaurant to try and yeah. one up their peers. Yeah. yeah, a lot of Jonathan Heights work on the. Yeah. The deeper psychological issues at play there mm -hmm. says it all. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that's yeah. right. And it's um um and it's weird. Like you go I back just a quick, very quick thing about Adam McKay. Uh, uh -huh. speaking of that funny thing about Don't Look Up. I also thought it was hilarious when he made the uh the Dick Cheney movie, what was it called? Vice. Um, Vice, yeah. yeah. And his argument for why that movie needed to exist was that no one knows anything about Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney is this secret mastermind. And Dick Cheney wrote about a thousand-page autobiography or similar. <laughs> like Dick Cheney has been in public view, yeah, for forty friggin' years, <laughs> fifty years. You know, I mean, it's like oh, he's a he's a black box. We know it's nonsense. <laughs> I'm like, our own Steve Hayes wrote exactly, a biography yeah. of Dick Cheney. Right. You know, <laughs> um, um, no, it's, but I was just gonna say it's it's kind of like Charlie Cook and I have talked about this a few times. Like one of the most annoying things about um, the early Trump days was when people would say, do you support him? Mm -hmm. As if like there's substance to this question. Yeah. Like, like, you know, it's <laughs> like, um, you know, if I support him, does that mean when he says two plus two is five, I can't say he's wrong you know right, i mean it's yeah. like what what is, it, it's 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 sort of like in you know in 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 westeros where where guys from where the um you know saying you support the catholic on the on the throne over the protestants on the throne, there's some meat there right but yeah. like 
Um, but it's still kind of magical thinking. And so like, I bring this up because the other day there's this guy from some, who's some Baptist theological seminary student who had this tweet where he says that, um, uh, I used to be a huge, you know, tr- mainstream conservative, you know, uh, Jonah Goldberg, David French, Rich Lowry fan. And I used to read the G file, you know, religiously, couldn't wait for it to come out. And now all of these guys have sprinted like Usain Bolt. This is his phrasing have sprinted like Usain Bolt to the left. And Wait, he said that about Rich as including well. Including Rich, yeah. I mean, I, I, thank you for being shocked on Rich's behalf, <laughs> jackass. <laughs> well, um, well, we know what the dispatch is like. And, um, and the thing is, is like, first of all, you know, I'll let David defend himself. I mean, I think David's become a little more even-handed about some race stuff. Um, maybe that's because spending five years having people tweet pictures of his adopted daughter in an oven um, being murdered right. does that to you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, who knows? But like, it'll change a guy. Like I, the I, and like so I, I, I pushed back on this, and a bunch of people responded, and no one had anything substantive to say, as far as I could tell. Maybe I missed something. It all boiled down to the fact that I had joined the coastal left-wing elites because I didn't like Trump. Right. And like, like, let's say for the sake of argument that Donald Trump killed my cat, right? <laughs> um, and I never forgave him for it. Well, how does that make me a left-winger? Right. It's like I haven't changed my position on affirmative action, on taxes, on limited government, right. on the Constitution, or any of these kinds of things. Um, and it makes it's 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 this weird sort of cultural signifier that says someone's loyalty to a person is more indicative of your ideological tribe than any of the actual ideological positions right. that you take. Right. And that's sort of what I mean about this sort of transitive property thing is it's just sort of like, you know, these people who brag about how much they're a MAGA supporter as if right. that somehow makes them pure about something when all it makes them pure about is they like Donald Trump's musk. Right. You know, yeah. it's not, it's not commitment to any serious ideas or right. anything like that. Anyway. That's what makes it so dangerous. Yeah. For my generation, it's like, it's just a person or a narrative. I don't even like on the left. I don't know if it's one person, but it's certainly just the narrative of, well, I mean, I don't you know were, what it is. You but. were, you know, you were a little yearling during the early Obama days, but it was, Oh, yeah. sure. The cult of personality sure, stuff sure, about sure. Obama was yeah, I mean, like, bananas. Yeah. Biden doesn't have that same type of following. No, no. But I know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, he's like, it's like he's walked out of a Bartles and James commercial. Like, <laughs> yeah, and exactly. It's all the more reason why it's so stupid for him to be pandering to the left right. like this because he right. has carte blanche to be the boring old man yeah. who right. just isn't engaged. Right. And instead, he gets engaged. That's why badly. he won. That's why he won. Yeah. Like, he didn't win on Jim Crow 2.0. Well, that's, that's, the, so that's the funny thing about the speech, though, is Biden is what well, he is. Think of a number of political car crashes that Biden has been in over the course of his entire career. Yeah. And yet after all of them, he's the one standing there with no limp, yeah. walking yeah. off, yeah. smelling of roses while everyone else is dying and screaming. And it's the same again now. Biden, Biden obviously isn't thuggish and vulgar like Trump is, no. but he's brusque and he's irascible and he was throughout the entire campaign. And you see it on perfect display yeah. now that he's running the country. No, I've I mean, seen like, a lot of that of like, we tried to tell you on the right, like we tried to warn you this is who he was. It's the point that I made a lot about why Trump was the way he was, was that winner's bias is a real thing for old people. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the cartoon I always bring up is the guy who says, you told me to quit. You told me I was being stupid. You told me it was a, it was pointless, but I didn't listen. And I kept buying those lottery tickets and I won, <laughs> right? Someone like some, like there's this, there's this, you know, well-documented tendency in some third world countries of, you know, people who will like be going up a hairpin uh, drive in the mountains and they'll almost, and then a school bus will come the other way and the school bus will almost go over the cliff killing uh, 50 kids, right? But it doesn't happen, right? It just almost happens. And the way people, some people internalize it is, well, this is just how you drive, right? <laughs> Rather than, man, that was close. Yeah. Trump spent his entire life doing things that everyone told him you shouldn't do, you can't do. And he was the black swan at the far right end of the distribution, like the monkey throwing darts at stock picks, um, who succeeded anyway. And so he's internalized this idea that he'll always be right. Same thing with Biden. Biden is a middle brow dude who much like you know delta house has a long tradition of existence (laughs) um and little more and he has internalized this as i am brilliant and um and i know something that everybody else doesn't know and and it's it's it i think it's tragic for the country because he could have been a very successful one-term president who sort of brought the country back to the center and instead i think he's making a lot of things that got him elected in the first place worse but i'm actually curious about that obama point because i know that there was some friction where especially in the nr realm where christopher buckley and a few others embraced obama and there were other tensions there as well but how how fractured was the movement more broadly during that time before when certainly before when i was paying any attention and i'm sure before ryan was as well I don't think it was that fractured. I mean, Christopher Buckley is, uh, it was a friend of mine, but he's, he's sort of sui generis on a lot of this yeah. stuff. And I, I tend to be on his side more than not. But um, I think there were people who, and I think I downplayed it or or minimized it more than I should have. There was a weird sort of hunger to demonize Obama as some truly otherized figure mm. that's where a lot of like the birth certificate the birther stuff came from if you read like the dinesh book on obama at you know which which ramesh panned brilliantly um you know there was this desire to sort of turn him into a post-colonial globalist you know demon figure and i'm not saying there's no merit to some of the the, the critics criticisms that those people used because I mean, I made some of them too. I I hated a lot of his verbiage. I hated the messianism of how he ran. Um, but I don't. But the fractures that Obama caused on the right, I don't think, were manifest very much in two thousand eight. Um, in part, I mean, to the extent that there were any, it was because Obama, which people, everyone now forgets, Obama ran as an opponent of gay marriage. He worked really hard at sounding more religious than he was. Right. Um, and the real problem was that a huge number of people, I think wrongly on the right, despised John McCain. So there was a, I think McCain probably divided that old right more than Obama did um, um, because there was just some people who couldn't be enthusiastic about McCain. I think, again, I think wrongly. 
even though I have, you know, my criticism about McCain. Um, but the, the real fractures on the, the way you would say, okay, past was prologue about Obama dividing the right had more to do with toward the end of the Obama years than the beginning of the Obama years. I would say, I mean, I, I, I guess I'd have to think about it a little more. I do remember sitting with Ramesh, a couple other people at a bar when it was pretty clear that Obama was going to win or maybe he had, won't. yeah, it was pretty clear he was going to win. And we were talking about, you know, on the one hand, how great it is for America to have the first black president, which I, I think it, it is and was, I, Really wish it had been Colin Powell in 1996. <laughs> but um, on the flip side, that this was a guy with, I mean, people don't, again, don't remember. He was a nobody state senator. And then the second he won a statewide race um, against Alan frickin' Keyes, um, uh, who I will just say up front bananas um <laughs> i have stories about alan keys but um uh and then the second he got to the senate he started running for president so like he had no like yeah. real accomplishments right. um in politics under his belt and i just remember ramesh saying so great you know the first black president will be a failed president how's that for you know racial <laughs> peace or whatever and um i'm sure ramesh would revisit you know the the view about whether or not he was a failed president but at the time like you know it was it was a real flyer and obama ran a really smart campaign by sort of being all things to all people and benefited enormous like there are an enormous number of people who think that that being black hurt barack obama's chances running for president i disagree a thousand percent (laughs) um it was an enormous advantage both in terms of his own strategy but also in how he was treated by the media um uh you know it was very biden-esque if you disagree with barack obama it was proof that you were racist and then what was amazing was like eight years later if you degree disagreed with hillary clinton it proved that you were sexist and even though like the disagreements with hillary were the same disagreements we had with obama which were the same disagreements we had with john Kerry, maybe we just disagreed on the merits (laughs) rather than like their gender yeah but or race or whatever Anyway, okay, now we've gone too far. All right, so uh, I think we're done here because I am rambling. And um, or, or, or now, let me put it this way. Now my rambling is becoming evident even to me. Uh, <laughs> we, knew, we knew it was over when guys started to fall asleep. Okay. That's yeah, right. Yeah, Jonah, we might not want to wrap it up. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I, I wish he had told me about the heroin addiction before he came over. <laughs> um, I uh, couldn't tell customs that, could I? <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, thanks everybody for listening. And, Thank um, you. Um, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Guy. Thank you, Jonah. And um, I got nothing else to report, so I'll see you next time. No, you won't. This is a podcast. For the love of God, if anyone has any roommate suggestions, housing suggestions for Guy, please, please send them our way. He needs to get the hell off my couch.